You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalm 18, 28. Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. It is great to be back with you for the next part of this series, celebrating the new songs, Come Magnify, and Home. I have loved seeing your messages and comments surrounding these songs, and I've loved how many of you have expressed in detail what they've already meant to you. So sweet. You might have seen on Instagram that Nathan and I were back at Lost Valley this past week for a songwriter's retreat that we were a part of, and I realized as I began to share the song Home with those songwriters that the very first time that I shared that song with anyone, I was in that very room at Lost Valley this past March, actually, with about 100 women or so, some of them my very close friends, and I simply read the lyrics from a journal. The song was only about two weeks old at that point, and I hadn't even sung it to Nathan yet, I don't think. So I simply just told the story about that night on the porch with the Lord that I shared with you in the last episode. And then I just read the lyrics, like I said, straight from my journal through lots of tears, of course. <laughs> but before I got to the bridge of the song, I remember saying to them that these lyrics you know, were written in the middle of the night, and I explained that there was this part about a screen door on a front porch, and I felt like it needed some explaining in the moment. And I even said, I don't know, maybe it needs some editing in the future. But I shared how I just kept having this visual of me coming home to my Heavenly Father's heart and then Him running out to meet me, kind of bursting from the screen door out on the front porch with this smile on His face. I pictured myself sort of weary and sorry, but he was just delighted as punch that I was home by the look on his face. Again, I just sort of questioned it in front of the group that maybe not everyone would relate to the screen door visual, but once we all made our way downstairs to lunch afterwards, I had probably three or four women unbeknownst to each other who commented on the screen door visual. One of them being Ann Boskamp, who sat down beside me at lunch, and the first thing she said to me was, you have to keep it in there. <laughs> so sweet. I knew exactly what she was saying. My friend Adria called it a blazing image for her to remember the father's posture toward her. I thought that was so sweet. I know for me, the line of the song that has meant the most from the very beginning is, my home where I can't go wrong. That's been the blazing image that I've needed, as it seems that there's just a million places that I can go wrong in the world we're living in. Thousands of ways to be misunderstood, taken out of context, canceled. I mean, I think about even the earthly relationships that I hold so dear. I mess up. I fall short. And yes, family is a place where we should feel like we can't go wrong. But as you know, it takes stewardship, attentiveness, patience, humility, and a great deal of grace for each other. But when I think of the one place where I can't go wrong, the place where everything really does come back together again, when I'm able to lean back against who God is completely, the place where I don't even have to use words sometimes when I pray because He just already knows my heart through and through. This is the Father's heart. Some of you might have had the thought, you know, that 
God feels like the place where you can always go wrong in every way. He might feel like the one place you just can't get anything right. But the point of the song is that you and I can't go wrong when we're running towards Him. When He's true north, our true home, we can't go wrong in that. One of my favorite disciples is John, probably because he referred to himself in the gospel that he wrote as the disciple that Jesus loved. He owned his belovedness as his very identity. But what's so beautiful about this relationship, and my friend Matt Redman even wrote a song around it, is that there is a fear of knowing the Lord that leads to a dear friendship of knowing the Lord. There's an awe of the Lord that leads to intimacy with the Lord. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. When I wrote down the line, Where my heart leans back into your arms, again, this was in the middle of the night when I jotted these lyrics down. They seemed to be just imparting to me like an instant download. But in the days following, I couldn't help but think of John. And in John 13, where Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet, and he tells them afterwards that one of them will betray him. It says the disciples looked at each other, uncertain of who could do such a thing. And you can just see it playing out, can't you, in your head. And of course, leave it to Peter to be the one to motion to John. He's like, hey, ask him. Ask him who it is. (laughs) And it says in the scriptures that John was leaning back against Jesus. They were all reclining around the table, but John was the one that was tucked in close to Jesus' side. I love that. This is John 13, 23. And the King James Version even gives us the picture that John's head was leaning up against Jesus' chest or his shoulder. This is brotherhood at its most secure. This is complete trust, complete love, finally finding your sense of worth and purpose and just leaning into it. It's not surprising when you picture this that Jesus would not long after this moment entrust his own mother to John while he was on the cross by saying, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And it says that from that time on, John took Mary into his own home. That's John 19, 26 and 27. This goes back to some of the concepts in my book, The Life You Long For, about what God is willing to entrust to us when we have been willing to entrust our all to Him. When we're willing to find our identity and purpose and belonging 100% in who He is, I believe He begins to trust us. This is why surrender is like a superpower in many ways, because I think about it, we're surrendering ourselves to Him, and He trusts Himself fully to take care of us. He begins to entrust His heart to us because we've entrusted our heart to Him. He trusts the one that we're surrendered to, which is Himself. He knows that only He will do when it comes down to just caring for us and being the home that we need. John and Jesus' story continues in such a beautiful way in Revelation 1, which is declared from verse 1 as the revelation of Jesus Christ. And traditionally, this is said to be the same John of the Gospels. But there is some debate in the scholarly world, meaning is this or is this not the same John who was leaning back against Jesus as they all reclined at the table? And what I want to say is, 
Of course, it's the same John. (laughs) I'll be shocked in heaven if I found out any different, because why wouldn't Jesus have entrusted John with these revelations, these visions? John understood the friendship and the fear of knowing Jesus. I'm not a scholar, but even just verse 5 is a dead giveaway to me as it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Skip down to verse 12, and it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I think we just needed to read that today. (laughs) Wow. But do you see it, though, this beauty and this invitation of getting to behold Jesus and befriend Jesus? And here's another verse in John. I read this to you in the last episode right before I played you the song Home. It's John 14, 23. Jesus answered and he said, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to her and we will make our home with her. So the way we love Jesus is to keep his word. I love this. It's this continual homecoming that has us going further up and farther in. I thought about how these two songs go together in the sweetest way, really. Come Magnify is sort of the further up, and Home feels like the farther in. I think a lot of you know that this is a Narnia reference, further up and further in. It's from The Last Battle. Of course, when I sang it, I felt like further up and farther in sang a little better, but That's what that's from, just so you know. But I just love that imagery. I love this picture of us, even as we're on earth here, making our way to eternity as we grow and become more like Jesus, we go further up and farther in. Anyway, nowadays when you release songs on digital platforms like Spotify or iTunes, you can release singles in twos like we just did, but technically you can only choose one song to be your focus track with these different digital platforms. And even how we release these, the way that my manager explained it is that one is focused on a further reach, meaning you hope that it gets on playlists to reach people who have never heard of you before. That's come magnify in this scenario as far as the song we focused on having that further reach. And then I love it. There's this other song. In our case, it's Home. This was the farther end track for the ones who have been alongside me for the long haul. It's for the tried and true friends who have walked this journey with me and have experienced the truth of these songs with me very deeply along the way. And of course, most of all, the hope is that it helps all of us go farther into the heart of God in these days. And I do hope people who've never heard of me hear the song Home as well. 
I trust God with all of that. But I love how these two songs just even sit under this banner of come magnify and home. Even just in those two titles, you kind of get that friendship and the fear, the intimacy and the awe. I love it. I shared on the last podcast that this song sticks out to me in all my years of writing because I can't tell you how many songs that I've prayed over and poured over scripture over and have spent weeks and sometimes months and even pieces of songs I've spent years crafting. And this one happened in a matter of minutes, as I've told you. Yes, I did edit a few things later, but as I laid there groggy in a hotel room by just the light of my phone, I typed in most of the lyrics that you now hear on the song. But even in how quick the song came, it meant a lot to me later as I realized all of the scripture that is embedded into this song. I see the beauty of the juxtaposition of this awe and intimacy, even in the verses, as it says, Long before anyone looked my way, you threaded my beginning. Even before I lived one day, you saw the very ending. This is from Psalm 139, of course. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. And then in the back part of the verse, we hear the truth of Colossians. Oh, what a comfort just to know that I was made by you and for you. Because wouldn't that make you my home? That's Colossians 1.16. All things were made by Him and for Him. When I think about that night on the porch and even some sweet moments and days with the Lord since then, this theme from Colossians has come up many times in my heart, especially when it has had to do with trusting God with these physical ailments and what felt like an absolute mystery when it came to trying to understand what was going on with me and why it was going on with me. And I know that you have those things too. It might not be physical ailments that you're up against, but you have those mysteries too, I know. The hardship and the trials that you continually ask, what is going on here and why, Lord? Yet this theme of all things being made by Him and for Him There's something in this for us in terms of surrender, but as we know, supernatural power because of that surrender. When I think back on that night on the porch and how I began to communicate with God again after a long stretch of, yes, maybe praying to Him and reading His Word, but I was certainly self-protecting myself from going deeper with Him. I can see an order to what unfolded that evening with the Lord. I want to share it with you because it's something that has in the past and is now in the present been a practice in my life, but it had fallen by the wayside in that season of swirling anger and wanting to quit everything because I was so tired of the pain and the hardship. But it's where I instinctively knew that I needed to go as God's daughter when I began to open my mouth and really talk to Him again after such a long season of this self-protection. 
I love to take notice of these things because I do believe that there are postures of our heart that matter to God. And there are spiritual practices in our lives that make way for the Lord to impart His life deeper into us as He's in the process of making us more and more like Jesus. When people have asked me about what it looks like to actually live in the bullseye, referring to how I describe what it's like to live from our belovedness in the mundane, I believe that these postures that I'm going to share with you, these practices, have been present in a really huge way. The first is the act of consecration. I think we all know what this is, but we just maybe don't talk about it enough. And I know for me, I wasn't practicing this in my early adult life. But this is Romans 12. When you think about consecration, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is us laying down our all. This is our response of remembering Jesus, I was made by you and for you. I don't belong to me. I belong to you. You threaded my beginning, and you've already seen my very ending. You know every day in between. I'm yours. I don't know if you were like me at church camp every summer and you rededicated your life year after year. Obviously, this was a faulty practice in that most days in between, I was living however I wanted to live, but then, you know, in the emotional high of camp, to the tune of the, you know, probably cute guys in the camp worship band, I would be caught up in the moment with all my friends by my side as we made our way down to the front, rededicating our lives again. This is not to say that my desires were wrong or that these kind of experiences can't lead to lasting fruit. Sometimes they do. It's just that I'm understanding that consecration or dedicating our lives to the Lord is actually meant to be really a daily posture and a practice of our hearts. It's actually all those days in between. It's a true spiritual act of worship, you know, minus the camp worship band most days. In fact, this has become a discipline really in my life. As you know, I've even talked about consecrating my to-do list to the Lord, the things I need to get done that day. John Eldridge talks about consecration in his book called Moving Mountains. He describes it as repairing the wiring, I love that, or restoring the connection so that God's provision and protection can flow unhindered in our lives. He says it's a fresh act of dedicating yourself, your home, your work, your job, a relationship, your sexuality, whatever it is that needs God's grace. And we are to deliberately and intentionally bring it fully under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It's surrendering our lives afresh to the Lord. And this is what I did that night on the porch. And what I've done many mornings since then is consecrate my life, my heart, my work, my songs, my home, everything in my little kingdom and domain to the Lord. It's His anyway, but the act of acknowledging it each day, that it is His, and that I surrender it to His rule and reign, it makes a difference in my life. Because like I said, God is a God 
of order. I believe where fresh consecration leads us is into a life of confession and repentance. And there is so much fruit that comes from those things when we're practicing them, when it's a discipline, a repentance that is deep and true. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, I think we understand this, but we don't talk about it enough so that it comes up in normal conversation as part of our normal day when we're with our community. But confession in and of itself is a way that I believe God wants to take us further up and farther in with Him. This is Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The other evening I was driving in my car toward the North Georgia mountains to a retreat for worship circle that I've been a part of for many years. And on my way, for lack of a better word, I became agitated in my spirit about some things that I was pondering on. One of them being a very broken relationship between two people that I love and the fact that I cannot fix it. And believe me, I want to fix it. Well, this had been weighing on me for quite some time, but in this particular moment, it was sort of bubbling to the surface in my car as I was driving. I was also mulling over an experience that I'd had with an Airbnb management company of a cabin that we had rented the weekend before, and I was letting that get under my skin. We actually had a lot of trouble getting into the home, this cabin that we rented, because of this very tricky doorknob. In fact, we thought that we were locked out of the house for over an hour and that I was actually going to pee my pants (laughs) until a maintenance man finally came and he let us in through another door and he discovered the issue was this doorknob. Well, our checkout was at 10 a.m. when we were leaving, you know, on that Sunday. We were there for two nights. And when they declined my request to have just until 12 p.m., just two hours later, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't mad. I was actually, like, offended to the point where I was just sad. (laughs) Like, my actual feelings were hurt, especially because I had an email in my inbox from the management company that said we could, at that moment, purchase a late checkout for 2 p.m. the day we were leaving. But they weren't even willing to budge and give us even until 12 p.m. Like I said, it hurt my feelings, even enough to where when that company reached out and asked for my feedback, oh, I gave it. (laughs) I wasn't mean or rude or unkind. I just gave honest feedback. And y'all need to know that it takes a lot for me to sit down and leave a review like that. And my feelings were still hurt as I was driving those curvy highway roads to Georgia that evening. And right about that time, a girl in the left lane next to me was not budging to let me over in order to pass several huge trucks that looked like little engines that could on that hilly highway. They were huffing and puffing as they were trying to make their way over each hill. And I just needed to get around them. I could actually spend some time on this, but I won't. Okay, I will will just say this. Can we just say out loud that the left lane 
is not so much the fast lane as it is the passing lane. Did you know that in some states it's actually against the law to drive in or stay in, I should say, the far left lane on the highway? The point is that it's used for passing slower vehicles, and then you get right back into the right lane. In other words, you're not really supposed to camp out in the left lane on the highway. It's a passing lane. (laughs) But this girl, she was camped there, and even with my blinker on, she was not slowing down or speeding up in order for me to be able to pass the trucks. Eventually, I was able to stay put long enough in the right lane, the slower lane, so that I could pass her, and I was able to get out in front of her finally. And when I did, I put my pedal to the metal, and I blazed around her. (laughs) And now I was huffing and puffing over the hilly highway because I felt this annoyance rising in my heart that looked surprisingly a lot like anger. Well, it was right about golden hour when I slowed down from passing her with all my might, and I thought to myself, what in the world is wrong with me? Where is this anger coming from? Well, for the next 45 minutes or so, I was invited into one of the most gorgeous sunset skies I think I've ever seen. Actually, I think my mouth was literally open at one point. I was so in awe of the beauty. And as my eyes were lifted back up to my creator in those moments, the sense in my heart was, okay, let's go farther in here, Christy. I opened my mouth and I just, I consecrated my life again to God. I just brought everything in my little world underneath His rule and reign. All the things I was agitated about, everything I was worrying about, it all already is underneath His rule and reign. But again, this is just a posturing of the heart and a practice where the out loud surrender of our lives to the Lord helps us to even just bring our hearts to release everything to Him again. And once I did that, I knew what else I needed to do. I needed to confess some sin. I needed to confess anger and arrogance, even speeding around the lady who was lollygagging in the passing lane. (laughs) Not because it was necessarily wrong for me to pass her kind of aggressively. And I assure you, I did not make any gestures to her. She was probably actually completely unaware of my complete lack of patience and grace. But what I'll say is that that little incident was an indicator for me that there was more under the surface that I needed to deal with, if that makes sense. What I've learned is that there's more than meets the eye with repentance. There really is something in it for us if we'll open up and we'll let our pride go and we'll let the Lord show us where He's working. And sometimes it just starts with the silliest things like this. Another passage about repentance is kind of a surprising one, actually, that we don't see all the time. It's from Revelation. It's Revelation 3, 19 through 20, where Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So this gives us this picture of restored fellowship with Jesus, doesn't it? Through repentance. He's like, be zealous, repent. I'm standing here. I'm ready to come in and have fellowship with you. I used to think that when Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, that he was referring to salvation. But he's talking to the churches here in Revelation. It's those he loves and reproves. It's those he's already in the process of correcting and disciplining. 
my ESB study Bible actually connects this verse in Revelation back to Proverbs 3.11, where it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof or rebuke, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And it goes on to say, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. All that to say, my goodness, wisdom is our best friend. And I love that this whole promise around wisdom is right after it says, do not despise the Lord's correction. There's wisdom in this. As I sat there thinking on all that I was thinking on, I asked the Lord, you know, what is the root of this? I know that there's anger here. What's the root? Show me. And when something would come to my mind, again, this is a part of just the practice of confession and repentance. When he would bring it to my mind, I would pray through that. And then I would say, is there anything else, Lord? And lo and behold, there were several things, actually. So I kept going. And I would say, where else are you working in my life, Lord? What else do you want to show me? And maybe an incident comes to my mind or something I had said that week or a person maybe that I was needing to apologize to or just pray through maybe how I felt when they responded to me about something. I would just say, what else do I need to confess? What else do I need to bring before you? And I just held that space there before the Lord in that sunset hour. And it just felt like a ton of bricks were just lifted off of my shoulders as I drove. It wasn't surprising to me at all that the faulty doorknob moment at the Airbnb actually happened on Friday, the day that these two songs released into the world. We had taken the kids away for just a couple of nights to just rest and have some fun. And as I look back on it, of course the enemy was trying to stir up madness. He's the thief. Right away, I could see that he was trying to steal my joy and rest, my lightheartedness and laughter, even our sense of home for the night. And I might not have completely lost my cool, but I took the bait in that I did choose offense, offense that would later start to stew again in my heart as I was driving towards the retreat that following Monday morning, that along with carrying the sadness of this broken relationship between some people that I truly care about, the strain of having traveled five weekends in a row since September, and then this, you know, lollygagger in the left lane, bless her, she was kind of the last straw. But you know what? I'm thankful for her. The Lord used her. I mean it. Bless her, Lord. I mean it. Because I began to imagine if I had not had that time of confession with the Lord in the car, how would I have walked into my brother and sister-in-law's house where I was staying for the night where Amaryllis Kristen had soup waiting for me by candlelight, and I was able to receive it as such a gift from the Lord to my heart? Such sweet conversations stirred as we just got to sit around the table together. It was just such a gift, and I was able to receive it in a different way. And I had sweet sleep that night. 
And then I've thought, what would the enemy have tried to steal from me as I drove into the worship circle retreat that next morning where I would get to come face-to-face the next day with about 10 women that I've gotten to walk really close with over the last six months as we've been able to meet together, but we've had this limitation of a Zoom call screen. And we were finally going to get to see each other in real life and have a meal together. And then from there, I'd go to Lost Valley to that songwriter's retreat that I mentioned earlier. And the danger was is that I'd walk into both of those retreats with this agitation that was on the verge of anger swirling around in me. And as we all know, when we're agitated and offended, it's hard to see others, isn't it? Of course, I thought to myself, the enemy wants me to walk in puffed up and arrogant and offended thinking only of me so that I'm not able to see these precious people whose lives I get to be in, to see and sing over them like we've talked about before on this podcast. As I finished confessing all that I needed to confess to the Lord, I I thanked Him over and over for not letting me go in puffed up, but instead low and thankful with humility and gratitude. My friend Rebecca Lyons talks about the two parts of confession, the confession of sin and then confessing what's true. And this is where the Word of God comes into daily practice, thinking on and speaking out what's true. I think of Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's saturating the mind with truth and then speaking it out. I think of Luke 6.45 that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As I've said before, God is a God of order. And what I've been able to see over and over as I practice consecration and confession is that it naturally brings on communion with God unbroken union with Him. It postures us for receiving an impartation of His life, His strength, His joy, His love in our hearts, supernatural resources that can actually be felt and experienced. You know those times that you were aware that there's people specifically and intentionally praying for you, whether that's for healing or praying you through a surgery or a hard conversation or a new job interview? And the prayers are actually felt sometimes and experienced, aren't they? Like it truly feels supernatural, not explainable apart from people praying and God intervening. Consecration and confession are two of the most powerful kinds of communication that we can have with God because it's almost like we've interceded on our own behalf for God to move in a way that we actually see and feel the difference. It doesn't mean that our circumstances are necessarily going to change. They might, but the true gift is that we're changed in it all. We see and feel the difference on a heart level because our expectation of the outcome changes. Our connection and conversation and coming home to God becomes the treasure. It's all about our relationship with Him. I was listening to a local pastor's podcast here in Nashville, which is actually just their Sunday morning service. His name is Dave Clayton. And he was talking about what it looks like to be a people marked by God's presence. This was in August. So it was sort of the back to school message for the fall. 
And I love from the top that he said, you know, this is the time of year where normally as a church, things are ramping up. The college kids are all back in town. It's normally a time where, as a church, they're honing in on ministry opportunities all over the city. Home groups are launching, and the focus is usually on all that God is calling them to do or on where they're going as a church. But instead, what God had laid on His heart was to declare, here's who we are. Here's who we're becoming. And the title of His message was, Marked by His Presence. He was preaching out of Exodus 33, which we actually covered some in the Psalms for Summer's End, when the Lord tells Moses to take the rebellious people of Israel and depart from Mount Sinai. And he basically says to Moses, I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out all of the bad guys. I'll pave the way for you to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. But I am not going to go with you, lest I possibly lose it on Israel because they are such a stiff-necked people. And in the podcast, Dave asked this very poignant question to us out of this passage. He says, if God would give you everything you've ever wanted, if every prayer would be answered with a resounding yes in an immediate moment, if God gave you everything you ever wanted, but he withheld himself, would you take that deal? We're talking like financial breakthrough, relational breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough, physical healing, everything you've been praying for. He gives it to you, but he withholds himself. Would you take it? This, of course, made my eyes immediately fill with tears because I was listening in August, just about five months after that moment on the porch where the Lord helped me answer this. Now, had you asked me in 2021 or any other hard and pressing season of my life, I would have known what I was supposed to say immediately, hands down, but I would have maybe found myself thinking through that proposition a little bit, not ready or willing to take it by any means, but at least just thinking through what that would be like. Everything you've ever wanted, even if it's not frivolous things, like what if it's spiritual breakthrough or physical healing, yet he withholds himself. You and I, like the old Cademan's Call song, we come from a long line of leavers. That goes all the way back to the garden where a choice was made, trading God's very presence for wisdom and knowledge and power, the wisdom of the world, giving up his provision and protection, the walks in the garden and the cool of the evening in order to be like God himself and know good and evil. This is where we see that you and I also have a common enemy who is always lurking and ready to pounce and steal, always directly opposing what God has already promised and released over us. Dave goes on to say that this question and the answer is the line of demarcation between a religious person and a person who is walking in relationship with the living God meaning that a religious person is already not having a relationship with God. So, of course, taking the answers and the outcomes and the breakthroughs, like, why not? But what about those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Those who have remembered the songs of our youth on the very bed of our suffering. Those who have found God to be the truest sense of home, this side of heaven. We respond like Moses, who says in response to the Lord in verse 15, 
If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses basically says, if you're not going, we're not going. What good is the promised land if we can't have you? You know, they say that Hollywood and even fairy tales, I've sung about this, (laughs) they only borrow our story over and over. And how many times have you seen the story end where the guy or the girl, they finally get everything they've ever wanted in life. Every dream comes true. And yet in the end, there's emptiness, only sadness, because not only is there still that nagging sense of longing to belong, that cavern that nothing else can fill up, but the one your heart longs to share the dream with is nowhere to be found. Even the current state of our world, it's in a constant quest for a kingdom without the king. My hope is that these heart postures will give you a grid for even when you might only have 10 minutes in your car with the Lord in these days. Maybe that's your one shot for just absolute quiet with Him to connect with Him. Consecration and confession lead to communion with Him. Simply laying down your life to Him daily and confessing any wrongdoing that might be a roadblock for renewal in your heart towards Him and continued fellowship with Him. I don't know about you, friend, but I'm holding out for when our faith becomes sight, when meeting with the Lord in the invisible mundane here on earth makes way for feasting with Jesus at an actual table someday. This isn't to say that this is what gains us salvation. I'm just talking about the desire for the fellowship from here to there to be seamless, from the front porch to eternity's shore, where He'll call us by name. You will know Him. He will know you. I believe this is what it looks like to be marked by His presence in this life and to walk in fellowship with the living God. It's a mind that stays engaged on Him, a mouth filled with conversation with Him, that His Word promises us that He hears, a heart turning to gold and diamonds on the inside because of His refining fire, and a life surrendered to what's in store both here and in the age to come when we treasure Him above all things. I'll talk to you soon.